0: Welcome back to the Rebel Podcast, Pooty, P Nate, Davy, Garage Mahal, all good. Hey,
1: you know what I just noticed? What is whenever you do the intro, you talk with your hands more so than when we're doing the rest of the episode. It's because it's like it, you got to get yourself fired up.
0: It's because I'm like cheering. I put my hand in the air. This is terrible radio. Put my hand in the air. I'm like doing the praise hands. Praise hands. The like, it's the only time the spirit moves. Like in terms of me lifting my arms.
1: Hey, okay, this is totally not on our show. <laughs> I was about to say not on our show notes, as if we ever have show notes. That's a shout out to Erica Van who <laughs> loves show notes.
0: She she I, on one of the Van Brummer episodes that I was on, I I texted to be like, hey, should we like make some notes? And she's like, rebels don't do notes. <laughs> nice. Like, so we converted her. Like, yeah, yeah, we don't. She does. We don't. <laughs> All right. So
1: um, I I just lost my train. I thought as quickly as it came in, it also left. Praise hands. Praise, Praise hands. hands. Oh, dude, thanks. Okay, so now we are not charismatic. Not at all. Yeah, I was just looking for a response there. We are not charismatic. We are, however, continuationists. Yep. Okay. So we sometimes get accused of being charismatic because we're not cessationists. Fair enough. Okay. I'm I'm tracking you. All right. One of the things that really bothers me is when cessationists take issue with raised hands in worship. Where are you at with raised hands in worship?
0: I'm um, The worst person, so I don't, I don't ever put my hands up very often in worship. It's not, it's not a, like a, I'm resisting the Holy Spirit's urge to put it up. It's because every time I put my, like every time I put, I'm my mind immediately drifts from the focus of what I was doing, which was singing praise to. to my hands up and like my hands is like, noticing like, exactly. And, and, I, and yeah. that's just simply, I'm just not strong enough to do both things and like, let it go, like let that go. So like you'll, you, you've actually made this comment. I don't even remember if you've made this, that if you watch me in worship practice and even rehearsal the Sunday morning, I am far more, like moving yeah, everything than sure. I am Sunday morning when we're, when we're saying stage and You're sip, the frozen,
1: frozen, chosen, <laughs> I'm the
0: frozen, chosen. The moment I'm singing, like, and, and part of the reason is that I I am very aware when I'm on stage, like stages, like the, like, yeah. you know what I mean? When I'm leading worship that I don't want to do anything that distracts at all. Yeah. yeah. I want to be visible enough to lead, but not visible enough to distract at all. And it's one of those things where it's like, I actually probably think I distract sometimes, just from my stoic like nature <laughs> on stage. Cause like there are people who that would distract as well. Like right. I remember I got a note one time in my mail, my mail slot. I have no idea who this is from. So I have no problems about be, about the song, the stand where it's like you yeah. with arms high. Like, and cause I don't lift my hands at that point. And they're like, it's very distracting. Cause you're singing about raising your hands to the Lord and you don't do it. And I'm like, you know what? I can see you your point, but you like, know what I though? I kind of
1: hate that. In that song, people only raise their hands when that line comes. Like, I I, I kind of hate that, too, because it's like you're being directed. But anyway. OK, so this is where I'm going with this is. um. So right now I'm teaching through Habakkuk. OK, and I like maybe it's because of my my Pentecostal upbringing. There's some things that have not been crucified yet or whatever. But like, I, I've always been a fan of. Um, like raising your hands or closing your eyes or whatever during worship and I know that there's a whole lot of people especially some of our Presbyterian friends who um, you know if you can tell the Holy Spirit moves because they lean to the next person and say that was a good word <laughs> <laughs> but but, um, but like when I read scripture so this happens in the book of Nehemiah in the book of Nehemiah, um, right? They bring out the word of God and they, they, they make a pulpit. So the, the, right, the, the walls are completed. They bring out, they, they fashion a pulpit for this day. They find the law, they bring it out and they read it. And the elders go through and they teach people, you know, it says they explain the meaning of the law as, as the law is being read. And it says that then they worshiped God and that they lifted their hands, right? And they sang to him. And so like you look at that, and there's a there's a demonstration of when God's word is read, and and we sing praises. That there's a demonstration. It's not just that you know that lift up holy hands um, uh, verse that everybody thinks it is. But then I'm in Habakkuk, and there's this there's this moment in uh, in uh, Habakkuk chapter three where Habakkuk is is singing to the Lord, and he uses two examples. He says the the mighty mountains bowed down to you. And the depths of the oceans lift their hands in praise. And so there's like th- this idea of lifting hands in praise. I think, I. I so this is just my, I, I totally off the cuff. This is not at all what we discussed today. <laughs> but I feel like reformed folk who I, like we need to be singing theologically rich songs. We should be singing the Psalms. We should like, I'm, I'm all for that. I'm not like, I'm not the like, let's do hill song and get into the vibe and, and get into a train. Like I'm not a charismatic when it comes to worship. But I think sometimes reformed folks just need to be shook out of their stoicism and like, like you're worshiping the living God. And when that happens in scripture, people prostrate themselves, people lift up their hands, people like clap and, and shout for joy and those kinds of things. And so I just, sometimes I feel like the reformed community is so afraid of showing any emotion in worship. So I I just wanted to kind of like throw that out there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think you're bang on. I, I, like, it's one of those things that I, I wish I was actually more comfortable to be more almost myself when I'm... when I'm Because
1: you're like, you're pretty... Like, you talk with your hands. You're pretty excitable. You you know what I mean? Yeah, like, you're, like, you're exactly. an excitable dude.
0: I'm, exci- I'm an excitable <laughs> dude. Um, and, like, I don't have a problem doing that things for, for, like, sports or anything. And I don't actually even have a problem when, like, somebody... Like, when, like, Dan is leading worship at our church or Leila is leading worship at our church... I realize now nobody who's listening probably knows <laughs> there are some of the other worship leaders at our church. I I'm much more likely to put up my hand in the congregation than I am
1: on stage uh, on stage. I, I get that. I, it's I just simply
0: that. the stage thing. And I, and there's uh it's Amos five. I would love to, I would love to actually like do a, like a, like a study um, more in depth in the Amos. But there's that point where it's like, talks about like where God is like almost annoyed by our songs and yeah. annoyed by our worship. Yeah. Because it's done in an unlawful manner, and so like he I calls think it of, noise. Yeah, he calls it, yeah. no- and so I think of that when I'm on stage. Of like, I don't want to do something strictly for appearance. Yeah, and so like I don't like so like I like I don't even hold the microphone. I put it in a stand, and I like, oftentimes I just grip with pure death the <laughs> microphone stand <laughs> because it's like I don't want to do anything for show. And I and I, yeah. I and I confess, like we make the joke, Like if if there's a church play, if there's any like. And I'm one of the first people in there because I like putting on a show. You know what I mean? Like,
1: but not there,
0: but but, I respect, but worship and preaching like the few times like, it's like, I, it's so serious to me where it's like, it's not that I'm lacking joy when I'm doing it. It's that I'm, I'm very conscious of the fact that like, I don't want to do anything that distracts. And I don't want anybody to be like, he was putting on airs. Right. You know what I mean? And like, I, it's almost like one of those, those, like that philosophy of like, I'm probably airing too far on the other side but I would rather do that than do the other. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? Fair. If that makes sense. That's fair. And, and it's one of those things like I recognize I need to work on. You know what I mean? Like.
1: Well, this wasn't a like, I'm going to confront Pootie on air <laughs> on the podcast about his stoicism. I just, it, it dawned on me when, when I saw how you were. And then I was, right. I was thinking about it when I was preaching through Habakkuk three well, last week.
0: We, we were going to do rebel news. I said like, that was basically like. There's a so rebel like, news. Like, that actually brings into, into our topic. One of the things we wanted to talk about today, which was um just like how confession and like what's what's str- what struggles are you going through needs to be eradicated in the church so why don't you just tell everybody who we are okay before we get so to we're deep-
1: the rebel podcast we're part of the reformed rebel network uh go to reform rebel network on facebook or on patreon to support us or to find us there are other podcasts on the network and you should check them all out because they're all worth it but we're in the middle of a series and so we're just going to jump right into it since our, our opening segment kind of segued right into it, it was um, good though. yeah it was good um, it, we're, we're, we're starting this series and we actually end up might doing, might end up doing several. Cause last week we didn't touch on any of the things we wanted to. And even this week we've started on something that wasn't on our <laughs> list as well. So we might just be on this for a while, but the premise of this series is don't go back to normal. And the idea is, is that the, the coronavirus and the pandemic and the shutdowns and the lockdowns and the restrictions and all that kind of stuff has created um, what a lot of people are calling a new normal. I hated the idea of a new normal because I hope none of this sticks around. But we are looking at 2 Chronicles 7, where God says that when he shuts up the heavens and there is no rain, and when he sends locusts to devour the land, and when he sends pestilence among his people, that his people need to humble themselves, call on his name, and turn from their wicked ways. And so the idea here is that once... as As society at large goes back to normal, we would like to call Christians not to go back to normal because that normal clearly got us into the mess that we're in right now and that is in the face of this pandemic in the middle of god's judgment on our nations um, he also shut down the church and i think when he shuts things down like that it is incumbent upon us to examine ourselves much like when we come to the lord's table we ought to examine ourselves and see what's what's there that ought not to be there and so as we're going back to church as we are going back to a level of normalcy, we want to say there are certain things let's not bring back with us. And so we started off talking about worship. And so maybe one of the things is, and, and so actually let's just stay on worship for a second. Sure. Then we'll go to confession because you brought confession up, which I think is a good one. But let's stay on, on worship for a bit. I think there are ways, we, d- we just talked about com- kind of demonstrative worship for lack of a better phrase. I think there's plenty of churches that are too demonstrative in their worship. That I think would fall into that Amos five category of their worship is just uh, you know uh, a noise. It's a it's a distraction to God. It actually says that He hates it that it smells bad to Him, and uh, and I think that that's that that idea when worship is for a show, and what you are doing outwardly is more important than the heart condition with which you're doing it. Okay, there's plenty of churches that are that that's their thing, and then I would say that there's plenty of churches, and, and I think ours is among them. Um, Maybe more reformed churches that um, that just aren't allowing any amount of emotion to flow in their worship. I think that that um, I, I think I've used this analogy plenty of times on the podcast. I certainly use it a lot when I'm preaching is the idea that you know uh, Romans 12:2 that God uh, that we are transformed by the renewal of our mind, that God begins his transformation process of individuals for his glory with our minds, right he, he gives us a renewable mind. but that that the truths that he is putting into our minds as we are conformed to Scripture as we gain the mind of Christ, it ought to go from intellectual knowledge, into our into our hearts, our, our emotions need to be engaged. I think it was Martin Lloyd-Jones who said, I, uh, as, a, as a pastor, he said, I, I, um, I spent half my time teaching doctrine and the other half of my pastoral time telling people that doctrine wasn't enough. And he has—he actually has a great book on uh, the Holy Spirit, and he talks about that. How he talks about essentially that um, uh, what we are looking for is logic on fire. What we are looking for is doctrine that set ablaze by the Holy Spirit in such a way that it engages our emotions and our, our you know, our, our entire being. So, um, so I think we can err on either side. And while we're on the topic of worship, <laughs> here's another thing that shouldn't go back to normal. Just crappy worship songs.
0: Yeah, we talk we talk about that one at nauseum together <laughs> because of the fact that I pick songs, and so oftentimes, like I have to say no to a lot of songs that. Well, on the and, surface look fine.
1: And you, I mean, this is one thing like at our church, you you get more song suggestions than I do. Like people are under the assumption that maybe the pastor doesn't have anything to do with the songs that are selected each and every Sunday, which is <laughs> No, isn't I blame you all. for all <laughs> the ones that I cut. So so
0: great. Right. Yeah, um, that's fine.
1: But um, but people will often come to you and be like, "Oh, why don't we sing this song?" Right? Like I think the the two main ones that you always tell me people ask about are Good Good Father. Good Good Father is a big and, one. And uh what's the Reckless the, Love. Reckless, <laughs> reckless Love, <laughs> that's love. it. I couldn't remember the, the adjective that Yeah, they there's use.
0: another one now. But like, those are the big two.
1: Good, good father and reckless love. So, so when somebody comes to you and says, Oh, can we play reckless love? Or why don't we play reckless love? What do you say?
0: Well, um, depends on who it is. (laughs) (laughs) I I try to be, I try to be like, I try to basically say, we'll take it into under, under advisement. If they push, like, what does that mean? Like I, I, I will explain why I don't sing that song simply just real brief Coles notes. I don't, I don't. I don't want us to, I don't think we should ever be singing a song. I have to sit down and explain theologically why right. it's
1: Right. Um,
0: and I like when I look or at
1: nuance or, in order to make it right.
0: Exactly. Right. Like I have to give preferences to a song, yeah. um, which is also why like, like reckless love, anybody who's listening has probably heard the song right in the title is a thing that I'm not comfortable with, but then I kind of get what he's trying to say. But like the problem is like, I had to sit, sit and think about what he was trying to say and
1: there are better songs.
0: Exactly. They're just simply there are, be- that's, that's a great point. They're just our better songs. Um, and it's just like one of those things where it's like there out of when you have, we live we live in the age where there is more Christian music than there's ever been in the history of the world. Yeah. So like our filter should be way higher than it's ever had to been, had to be. And like, if we want to sing about God's love to us, I, there, there, I can they're think of hundreds of songs, to- yeah. songs that are already better than that. Um, that, I, that we can sing to, um, and, ter- and then like good, good father, just like, okay, yeah, whatever. It's funny. It's kind of a, but it's like, it's a fluffy song. Right. And like nowhere in scripture does it tell, command us to be fluffy worship. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you read the Psalms and, and like the book, the book of the spiritual songbook. Yeah. those are not fluffy lyrics. No. Like there, we sing Psalm two in our church where it talks about like bashing his enemies heads off of, <laughs> off of rocks. And even the version we sing is kind of peppy and funny and like, it's it's yeah. hard Dash to sing. Dash them all to the
1: pieces and then grind them into dust. It, we sing the uh, uh, "My Soul Among Lions" version. Yes, and and yeah.
0: they, um, and we got their permission to do it. Um, yep. I asked them to send me the music, uh, but we sing that song, and it's like one of those things where it's like there the the lyrics there are biblical lyrics, and it's hard to sing. Yeah. Like good good father, yeah, I could make an argument why what it, why it's saying right things. God is a good father. He's a very good father. He's the best father. But like, there's a hundred million songs that I could sing about God's. Stewardship of, right. of of the world, the better
1: than that. Um, well, and and so. I think you know it, the other point you make is like, and you said if I want to sing about God's like kindness and and love towards me, there there's not a shortage of songs on that. But what there is actually a shortage of songs on is that God's love sometimes looks like judgment, right? That like, like it, God is not being unloving when he's dashing his enemies into pieces. Or like, um, I think it's Psalm 139 that talks about like, um, uh, bashing their babies against the rocks. And like, like there there are some very hard psalms and this is the inspired songbook of the church and i think the kind of christianity we actually see is a result of the music that we sing and so going back to our earlier point music shapes us right like we are we are people who are shaped by like you cannot hold intellectual truths in your mind alone and be moved in that particular direction where your heart is Right. Where your treasure is there, your heart will be also where your heart is, is what you treasure. And so what you what you have affection and feelings and emotions for is where your heart is. And so the point there is, is if worship music doesn't move you to emotion, something else is, whether that be sports or whatever. And you ought to be engaged in the like emotionally engaged in the worship of the living God. Hundred percent. So, I, I, th-
0: I, think in terms of worship songs, I think, I think there's another thing that we should point out is that one of the things that needs to change is just the self, the self centeredness of our yes. worship. In terms of like, we even talked about it here. Like, how many and like, I'm guilty of this. We're all guilty of this as worship leaders. But like, just in terms of churches in general, how many times? Are all the songs we sing on a Sunday singing about what God has done for us? Right. Not so much who God is, what God's like, who he is. We're not praising him for his attributes. We're praising what he has accomplished already on our behalf, and don't get me wrong, that's that's something we need to do. That's a For part sure. of what we need. There, what plenty we need to of do.
1: psalms. David is reflecting on his own feelings towards God, 100%. his own subjective feelings. How long, O oh Lord, will you hide your face from me forever? Psalm thirteen. Right. Like there are there are psalms that are very David centric, but they all get to objectivity of of God, the gospel, the cross, salvation, sovereignty. Um, but there's also plenty of psalms where David is not mentioned. It's all about the glory and the majesty of God. Yeah, who God is, right? right?
0: And so, like, when if we if we want to talk about how not to go back to normal in terms of worship, let's let's start singing songs that praise. Like, yes, sing songs that praise him for what he's done, but also sing songs that praise him for who he is. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, one of the things that I think um, to push back on the reform. This is one thing I actually think reform teaching is much better at than like um, non-reformed is that we do Center on God's attributes a lot a lot of the times not just what God um, has done and so like but our worship needs to reflect that
1: yeah I remember totally.
0: having a, I remember having a conversation um not to make myself the hero of a story but like I remember having a conversation with somebody in our church one time and they were talking about like well I don't understand why people don't get more charismatic in our worship and I remember saying like it's because a lot of the songs that were being sung at that time, don't reflect what are being taught. Right. And like, but whereas like, if we go up and like sing, like, here's an example. If you go up and sing the doxology or if you go up and sing, yeah, totally. um, when I survey or like any, like a typical hymns, but like people respond to those because that's yeah, what's totally. being taught. What's on that? A Sunday. What's that? Uh,
1: new one that we sing. Um, uh, uh, minor keys to Zion's mountain Christ what, is mind forever. Man. man, that is a good song. And like, our, our church sings that like with full hearts and with like full lungs you know what I mean and it's because I think the words are excellent it talks a lot about the stuff that we teach from the pulpit and and that's like that's what we're going for that's what um, Lloyd Jones meant when he said logic on fire the doctrine that has just been planted in your mind now needs to take root in your heart and that happens through worship
0: yeah and the interesting story about how that tr- that song came to be in our church that was a congregation member suggesting that song to the worship team. Oh, interesting. And so it's one of those things where it's like, yes, that that is actually something that we would take like a lot. And I think I think our church is okay at this, but I think there are worship churches that are just the worship leader is in charge of everything to do with right. music and whatnot. Where it's like rather than be a filter for the people, and it's almost like the worship, uh one thing that needs to change is that uh worship in churches exists simply for the congregation to sing. Our job is to Amen. be the choir master of of our church. So like when I go up and sing on a Sunday morning, it's not about how how good does my voice sound? How good do we do? There there is there is a whole point where we need to do our best. And I'm the first person to say you need to do things excellently. Give your all for the for for God because you're leading our church in 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 worship, but it's not about how well we perform. It's about how well do I get excommunicated ex -ex excommunicated ex uh, ex congregation member to sing and to celebrate what has been taught. Like we talk about this all the time. Almost every time I know, I know for, I know our worship leaders and we all do this. We read like, where are you ending with your service so that we can try to tie what we're singing to what you're speaking on so that it's like, and I think that's one thing that I think, I think worship needs to start existing um, basically to help. Like you said, to connect our people to what has been preached because as you said, they, uh, they understand it with their heads. Worship is what helps them connect it to their hearts. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's one of those things that that's what we're doing. Somebody said one time, uh, I'm...
1: No, like people.
0: Um, worship is like praying twice because you're praying, you're singing the songs with your mind and mm. then it's coming out in your heart. So it's yeah. like praying twice. And so we need to be super, super, super diligent with what we're putting in, right. in our worship as... As strict as we are with what's being taught from the pulpit, yeah, for sure. worship needs means to, means to be, because it's usually the second biggest aspect of the service.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and I think, so actually that, that kind of leads into something else that I was thinking about when we were coming here to talk about this topic. And that is that, um, sometimes we're guilty of sort of segregating our services to like this is the worship time. This is the tithing time. This is the communion time. This is the sermon time. Instead of like looking at it all as worship. Do you know what I mean? Like we call it, we call the music time, the worship time, but like every part of our worship service ought to be worship, which I think there's a lot of Churches that maybe don't think that way and therefore a lot of the time they spend corporately together on a Sunday and it, part of this is part of this is maybe because they're doing two services we're starting we, we've broken off into two services right now because of the capacity restrictions and uh, and I hate it I, I hate it for so many reasons but we've left a, a solid chunk of time between those services intentionally because we don't ever want to feel the pressure of like Um, getting, um, not being able to uh, worship fully in order to accommodate the next service. So I think a lot of this happens, the condensation of the uh, um, worship service happens because we're trying to like fit in multiple services or whatever. But But this idea of like looking at the whole thing as worship, which means if there are aspects of it that aren't worshipful, that aren't glorifying God, we shouldn't be doing them.
0: Amen. Right. Uh, are we going to go there? I think we should go, go for there. it. Yeah, go um, for it. I, I, I think I've long been a component of a couple things being removed from the church. Um, when I say removed from the church, it says like, I know better than everybody. Here's my thoughts. I'll say it as just as these are just Pooty's thoughts. Um, I don't think announcements typically need to be something that is done in a service. The reason I say it is that like... There there is a time and place to advise the people in your church what's happening. Um, But like the worship gathering is, as you said, it's it's nothing should be happening in there that isn't a worshipful moment of of time, because that's why we've gathered together. Right. Um, Where so many churches have like we've all been to the church where we go and the first 15 minutes of the service has nothing to do with service at all. It's hi. Thank you for coming. Um, if you're new here, sign up on the sheet so we can get to know you and basically harass you until you come back. Um, now we're going to give you a whole bunch of announcements for people who come here. Cause we're going to try to feed you. We're going to try to do all these things. And then likely at the end of that, we're going to ask you for money. Um, and then, and then what we're going to do is we're going to get into the real part of our service, which is now we're actually going to sing right. and then preach. And then we're going to sing some more. And like, that's kind of the template cookie cutter church service i realized i was heavy on the but where I, where I look at it and i'm like none of those first parts have anything to do with what we're doing gathering together um other than like maybe a welcome is fine but i mean like um i don't i don't see particularly oftentimes announcements being a needed thing i think there are times where like um you need to make people aware of something. Right. Um, but like, there's a difference when it's like, there's a
1: difference between making people aware of something and like using that as like advertising time. Do you know what I mean? Like,
0: yes, it's like a set time. That's, I think that's what I have a problem with.
1: Right. Is if it's sketch- just like, Hey, how's everybody going? Um, don't forget, you know, tonight's our, our, uh, prayer, you know, prayer night or whatever, come at eight, seven o'clock. That's one thing. But then, but like when it starts becoming advertising time for like the women's ministry bake sale or, you know, w- whatever, then it's like this is this is like an like these are advertisements this is not what we're, what we're here for and and don't get me wrong there are things within a church community and and what's going on within a church community that contributes to the community itself but that's separate from worship like i'm not i'm not saying like a women's ministry bake sale good at our church they always put it towards missions go for it i'm i'm happy with that but there's a, that's not worship. That's not the corporate worship service. That's not what it's for.
0: Exactly. Think of, we're, a fam, we're a church family, right? So think of like if you went for Christmas dinner at your in-laws house and before the turkey and all that stuff was served, before grace was said, um, we sat down and was like, okay, um, I just want to guys make you all aware. What we're going to do is we're going to eat in a bit. But before we do that, I just want to tell you, um, I got my electricity my heating is going to be done on Tuesday. I'm actually hosting, um, you know, a a bake sale on Wednesday. Um, I hope you guys can all attend. Um, the proceeds of that's going to go to my golf trip. Um, and just like, you know, you just ran it like I watched the football game on the weekend. It was great. We're going to watch that later tonight again. Um, and then little Timmy got like, you know, a new thing where it's like could you imagine how weird and stupid that would be if you sat down at a dinner table whereas if all of that same stuff came up through the conversation they're all
1: family they all have to do with your family right they're all like they're all like important for what it means to be your family right like maybe the thing that timmy got was he lost his first tooth like that's something to celebrate you know what i mean that's something to say to timmy but like that can happen that like that just happens in the life of the family exactly. right exactly whereas you would
0: probably before hey guys before we get to dinner i just want to announce that um you know i'm expecting a baby you know what i mean where it's <laughs> like that's the kind of announcement that you do <laughs> right. stop the gathering for right. to point out and it's like so it's one of those things where there there is a time for special announcement but there isn't maintenance there isn't like there's no need for a maintenance right,
1: maintenance. right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I take it you're not a big fan of, of churches that will like update you on where they are in terms of budget. Oh, we're at uh, 96% of budget. And, uh, if you guys would just, uh, you know, open up your stingy wallets a little bit more. Maybe we can make a hundred percent before the end of the
0: end. <laughs> in, in the general, in the general public gathering. No, but I'm actually, I'm actually one of those people who I think, I think actually our churches should meet far more frequently. Like,
1: I don't think I like Town hall meetings, prayer meetings, morning service, evening service,
0: family, like family membership meetings where it's members only. Right. hundred percent. And like our church before the pandemic, I actually think we were, we were starting on the right trajectory of like planning symposiums, like getting more people involved in where the church is going in terms of a mission, always led by our leaders and always led by our elders, but like getting buy-in from the, the the members and the leaders Mm -hmm. in the church so that. It wasn't a shock when it's like, hey, we need four thousand. I'm just throwing out numbers. Yeah, yeah. We need four thousand dollars for missions. It's not a shock because we met three like a right. month and a half ago and we talked about the fact that we want people in our church to go on missions. And so it's like one of those things where it's like, I think we I think there is one of the things that I don't I want us to not go back to normal is that the annual business meeting is a one time a year business right. meeting. Like we can have the annual meeting as a meeting that happens once a year, but like I think I think we should be meeting as a family far more frequently than that. Or in just there, there are other avenues to do that. Where it's like, okay, well, maybe all the people who are involved in this are meeting. And like, and I, I think there's one of those things where it's like a budget update probably isn't Sunday morning meeting. But we might need to meet. We might need to meet and have a serious conversation about the finances of the of the. Of
1: the church. So let me ask you this. You mentioned asking for money in your whole oh announcement, <laughs> your announcement thing there. My tirade. Um, my in your, yeah, in your, uh, in your letting loose. Um, tithing. Go. Because there'd be some people who would say that's part of my act of worship is like bringing my tithes and offerings.
0: I, I 100% agree with them. Um, sorry, I just... I no, no, it. go for it. This I, it is a part, it is a part you of your... Worship, And I'm going to even give you their better argument. Their better argument is that <laughs> is that their kids get to see them do that. And I'm like, 100%, I'm on board with both those things. Yes, it is a part of your worship. And yes, it is. Um, actually, I'll take it even further. I think it's a part of your worship that you should actually physically be doing it. I don't think it should be just like, even though we're all auto deposit, it's it almost like feels better Cheating. if I take it out and physically give it because then it's me actually giving it rather than you taking it. Right. Even though I've approved you to take it, I don't, I don't, I don't feel it. I don't miss it cause it's never in my account. You know what I mean? Like I just know it's gone right away. But if I take it out and I physically give it, I think that's better. Um, so I actually think there's a, there's a, I think we should actually probably actually physically be doing it. Um, even like, sorry, that's a, that's one of those like little right. legalist things. but I would say the better argument that they, those people, the pro keeping the offering and the service people have as they're like, well, my kids can see me and imitate me giving. So they see me doing, they ask questions. I get to divvy out some money every week to them to do that and give. And be like, amen, yes, 100% you do. You can do that in the foyer before the service just as much. and the exact And the exact same thing happens. You've lost absolutely nothing at all. Other than what I think the Bible actually says, we shouldn't do. There's the verse where it says, don't let your left hand see what your right hand is doing. And it's like when it, when in and it's talking about being charitable. And it's one of those things where it's like, we all have this tendency when the plates pass, we see who puts in and we see who don't. And then there's like almost that like moment of time where it's like, I'm on auto deposit people chill. Like, um,
1: like, you know I mean? like I'm passing the plate, but it's because it's coming out. Because it's already
0: coming out. Do you want me to put my receipts in? Like, it'll be fine. Um, where it's like one of those things where it's like, it's, it's, it's done in a public form, and I don't. I don't think. First, I just don't think that is ever something that B- the Bible commands us to do—is give publicly so that people will see it. Maybe I'm I'm using the exact same argument I have when I talked about worship earlier, where it's just like I just don't want people to see what I'm doing. Right, and but so no, so, no,
1: I, I do see that, and, and it, the New Testament example seems to be condemnation of those who give for the approval of others, right? It, he, Jesus condemns the Pharisees for giving charitably in front of those who are watching, yeah, right? Like, Sapphira, right? Yeah, Ananias
0: and Sapphira. Yeah, there yeah, like, yeah. Where they give from an unworthy position and they get turned to dust, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, um, I think there's... I so think there's, you
1: are advocating for tithe and tithe physically, but don't bring sense. it up, at, don't do it as part of your hour and a half worship service or, or whatever that corporate time together is.
0: Yeah, I think, I, honestly, I, I'm convicted of the fact that I just don't think offering in the service has... Has a place um, in terms of like it is yes it's an act of worship but it's I don't think it has a place in our Sunday morning gatherings I think on there's all the reasons I've already said and there's the other obvious reason that some people are are in our church that aren't, aren't of us. You know what I mean? They're not members. They're not. Right. And there is that obligation to like, do, should we ever ask a non-member to give? Right. And my answer to that is no.
1: Yeah. We don't, like, we don't want their money.
0: I don't want their money. The same I want,
1: reason. We don't want government money. <laughs>
0: exactly. I, I only want the people who have committed to the authority and the, and the guidance of our church right. who have been affirmed to be one of us, to be supported, to be supporting our, our ministry um, in that, in that way.
1: But Pooty, if we don't take it up in the middle of the service, then maybe we won't get enough money to meet budget
0: Matthew Matthew, <laughs> Matthew uh, that sounded so set up um, yeah, yeah. well that, that's right I I that. yeah. Matthew 6 tells us different Matthew 6 31 30, through 33 is where is the part where God says like don't worry about tomorrow don't be anxious about tomorrow
1: right Your heavenly Father knows what you need before it, you ask exactly
0: I will feed you I will take care For that mentality. And I've even heard this in our church, not from you, I will uh, but I've heard this in like, well, I got to worry about the fact that like if the money doesn't come in, I don't get paid type thing. And it's like, well, there's, that's because we rely on man to provide where, where God has said he will take care of us. And it's one of those things where it's like, we need to trust in God's sovereignty in all things, including that last little aspect of where it's like, oh, the money will come in. Like if we're, if you're, um if you're trusting and we've and you've prayerfully considered the budget, I'm not saying we can yeah. be like
1: And God is blessing your efforts. Exactly. Right? Like, like, that's the other thing.
0: And exactly. And our and I and that this all preferences that our elders are fiscally responsible, that yeah. they've planned out the budget accordingly based on like obviously facts, figures, prayer, all those all those things. And so they're not saying we want a million dollar budget, we're in a church that's had a $200,000 budget the year before. That's not, I'm not saying like, don't worry, God will take care of it. He might. But like, it's one of those things like good stewardship, God will, God will provide. And it's one of those things where we like, we need to be willing to be, to trust God and his sovereignty and all of those things. And so I think, If the judgment in terms of like offering is one, I think it's something that the Bible actually says we shouldn't do. And then two, I think it's also we we don't remove it from our services for the lack of trust that we have in God's sovereignty and finances.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Prudy just dropped his pen pretending it was a mic. Yeah, I did did do that. So uh,
0: sorry, you got something? No, no, go for it. I got one for 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 you.
1: All right. We'll do one more. I feel like we still didn't get to everything on our list. So we'll, we'll do It'll another episode on this. Yeah, yeah. This is like a trilogy. Yeah. Um, like all good things. All
0: good, all good things come in threes. Yeah. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Yeah, that works. Yeah, yeah. Um, Back to the
1: Future 1, 2, and wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. The prequel. Yeah. <laughs> um, communion. Uh, yes.
0: Weekly, non-weekly,
1: every week. Clearly. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, okay, so when we talk about going back to normal, I, I actually saw a lot of pastors and and church members uh, who talked about missing the Lord's Table and missing communion together. And I think that's a good thing. They should be, they should be missing it. Um, some, some of my thoughts towards some of my pastor friends who I know, I know... Are convinced that weekly communion is biblical. I so cards on the table. I think it's it's biblical. Uh, when, when I got to Crossroads, we used to do it. We did it monthly. Uh, I became convinced pretty quickly in my senior pastor career that it was um, all, something that we ought to be doing um, weekly. And uh, and in doing so weekly, uh, once I was convinced and and brought it to the elders and and convinced them of the biblical position, uh, we taught it the church and rolled it out. And, uh, and we've been doing it that way for a while now. That said, I think most pastors, and this is where I was, in those first two years maybe at Crossroads where we weren't talking about this, I knew we should be doing it weekly, but it takes up a little bit of time in the service. And it, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like there's there were, there were it, the inconvenience of like allotting time for it um, was a, a deterrent. And I say that to my shame So I think when we're talking about don't go back to normal, um, when you come back together, uh, those churches who do not practice weekly communion, um, you ought to consider why you missed communion so much, and it's because it's one of one of the things that God has ordained um, for the assurance of the forgiveness of our sins. Um, for the, the corporate confession of sin, for um, the, uh, the, the, the corporate remembrance of what God has done for us. and so many other things, this ought to be a weekly thing. And so don't let inconvenience or service planning or you know, whatever else are some of the other, probably frills, That ought to be shaken off that we ought not to bring into our worship service that are taking time away from something like communion, which I think every good pastor knows and is convicted ought to be a weekly thing. We ought to come to the Lord's table weekly. Another thing you want to talk about communion pastors need to do a better job fencing the table. And I know some of our Presbyterian listeners, um, a lot of them practice membership communion. you got to be a member of the church, and that's kind of how they fence the table. But for a lot of us who are uh, Credo Baptist churches, we practice what's called open communion, which means you don't have to be a member of the church in order to participate in the Lord's table with us. Uh, I can theologically tell you all the reasons why we do it that way. (laughs) But... Um, but what pastors ought to do of any denomination is fence that table let let people know that there is such a thing as bringing judgment upon yourself if you eat in an unworthy manner it is for god's covenant people it is not for everybody it is not for the unbeliever it is it is not welcoming for you to make anybody feel like they can participate in communion because there's nothing l- more unwelcoming and unloving you can do than to, to than to have an outsider come and bring judgment upon themselves by eating and drinking in an unworthy manner. So communion should be weekly, and you got to fence the table.
0: Yeah, let me let me ask you a question then. Um, so you would say that communion is a weekly thing. So what about children? So I'm going to throw this one out. You you mentioned like fencing the table. Yeah. Um, so who who do you give the authority then to? Govern who gets to take it and who doesn't take it. Like so, like would you, as the elder, as the pastors and the elders, say, you know, Davy Boy over there isn't? Uh, I'm just using Davy as an example. <laughs> isn't worthy of taking communion yeah. with us because we know of these sins. Yeah. So well. okay,
1: so here's how we manage it at Crossroads. Um, so because you mentioned a couple things, you mentioned those who are in sin, and you also mentioned mentioned children. I think two different cases
0: can weren't open. Yeah. So
1: um, so I would say this. I would say number one. Um, when we put somebody under church discipline, and church discipline takes a lot of different forms, and there is there are many steps prior to the sort of public um, excommunication or being taken off the membership roster or making somebody's sins public. There are a whole lot of steps between there. But when I'm counseling somebody um, because of sin in their lives that is either unrepentant or hasn't fully been repented of right like oftentimes what happens is you know somebody will do something and they see they see that it was sinful but they blame it on something rather than their you know what i mean so they'll be like oh i did yeah that was i did that and it was wrong but i did it for this yeah Yeah. um so there will be times when that's where people are at mentally and spiritually and I, i will tell them that they should not be partaking in communion until this matter is resolved um, and that's happened many times, many times at our church. And there have been other other times when other elders have dealt with with matters where they've come to me and said, "Hey, I don't think so and so." And and so we we just say, you know, that you don't come to the Lord's table until. And and usually that's not like that. I mean, that doesn't last a long time because if they're an unrepentant sin, then then church discipline escalates to the point where once they're fully repentant and, and fully see their own depravity at the center of their their sinfulness. Um, we welcome them back because that's where, they, that's where they are assured of their forgiveness before God. Now, that said, um, so I do think that the elders and the pastor have the right to fence the table from church members and from Christians who are in unrepentant sin, right, as we're working through that with them. In regard to children, it's interesting because so as a Credo Baptist Church, we we believe that people come into membership and become baptized upon profession of faith. Now I, we're actually very lonely in our position at Crossroads, <laughs> and what I mean by that is that there are a lot of Baptist churches, Credo Baptist churches, that I think sinfully will expect. Um, to see a certain level of fruit in the lives of the children in their church before they'll baptize them, that they will not expect, that they will not equally ask for the same level of fruit from a 30-year-old who comes to Christ, right? Many pastors are eager, eager to share... uh, to to baptize the person who converts to Jesus before they see adequate fruit of repentance, and yet when the ten year old comes and makes a profession of faith, and their parents say, "Can they be baptized?" They say, "I don't baptize somebody that young. Let's 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 see if there's real repentance in." Their let's lives, wait okay? till they're fifteen or, yeah. or 60. Yeah, yeah. And and I see no arbitrary age of you know once they're twelve, once they're fourteen, once they're sixteen. Um, I've I've baptized kids in our church as young as eight nine ten and i do that gladly because upon a profession of faith and so we believe that the church is made up of a family of families and that there are uh, lines of authority within the church that get blurred right like i'm not the dad i'm not i'm not able to spank someone else's kid but as a family in my church there is a there is a way in which they are responsible to, to the leadership of their church for how they're parenting, but th- those lines are blurred. We don't we don't assume the role of daddy or mommy to to uh, uh, people in the church, but you know fam- the church is made up of families, and so we act- we we just trust the parents, and so we do the same thing. We we practice pedo communion in our church in that we don't make an age. We don't say you have to be a member. We don't say you have to be, be. And and there are kids in our church as young as as eight, nine, ten. Those those uh, kids that we've baptized who take communion. And what we instruct the parents is nobody is in a better position than you to know when your child has, um, uh, 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 you know, professed faith and uh, and when you believe that they understand this. And so oftentimes, and we've had plenty of parents who bring their kids to me and say, you got to sit in front of Pastor Nate and, and talk to him uh, and kind of intimidate their eight-year-old or nine-year-old. And, and uh, you know, they'll, they'll bring them in them into me and they'll they'll say, why do you think you should take communion? I want you to explain it to Pastor Nate and stuff. And they just want my help in kind of discerning where their kid is at in terms of understanding the gospel, understanding communion, understanding the emblems and the symbols and stuff like that. But that's where we're kind of at as a church. And so I think I think communion is a way bigger deal than we um, than most churches uh, make it. We just think of it as this sort of weird tradition. And if you think of it as this weird tradition, it's going to look way more weird to those who are coming into the church because you're just doing it as tradition. And I think anytime we're doing anything robotically, we're not doing it in a way that glorifies God. And so I think uh, I think communion ought to be intentional. It ought to be weekly. It ought to incorporate all of those in our church family who are part of God's family. And, uh, that's all I got to say about that.
0: Yeah. That's, that's, it's funny. Cause that's where I would on communion. That's when, when I think about it, that's where I kind of land too. where I'm like, the thing that we need to eradicate is just the idea of like, it's just something we have to do. Whereas like, no, Jesus specifically commands us to do that. And why does he command us to do it to, for us? So we can confess our sins so we can remember what he's done for us. And do it as a family, right? It's one of those, it's one of the only times where we do something collectively like that. Right. And I think it's one of those is where we need to, the, the thing that needs to be eradicated from the, the previous norm to the new norm is the idea that this is something we just going through the motions. Right. Whereas like, this is an active, important part of every single time we gather together as a church family.
1: Right. Right. So I would and I would just throw out there just just to kind of end on a bit of a like snippy, controversial point. Uh, our, 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 all of our Pado Baptist friends um, and, and we have plenty of them. Um, I would just say that if, if you are baptizing someone that you will then deny the Lord's table to, I think you have to re-examine your consistency. I think the, I think the only I think the only consistent position in terms of communion, for Pedo Baptists is also Pado Communion, and so that's when it, when I said that we were kind of in a lonely position. I I say that because um, you know there are a lot of Baptist churches that think we baptize kids too young. And there are a lot of Pado baptist churches who obviously think we wait too long. But then there are a whole lot of pa- uh, Presbyterian churches that think that we allow kids to take communion too young, right? So it's I, I think the, the the consistent position, if you're going to be Pado baptist I don't think you can justify by Scripture denying somebody communion that you've baptized. <laughs> so just throwing that out there. Uh, but hey... It wouldn't be a rebel podcast if we didn't uh, bother somebody. So we just uh, we
0: just offended ninety percent of our people because most of the people who listen are Presbyterian.
1: <laughs> possibly, possibly that'd be an interesting. Well, if so, they probably turned it off as soon as I start talking about baptizing eight and nine year olds. I love it. Yeah, they're I, like I you're it. about nine years too late, bro.
0: It's hard. It's hard out here being the only church that's right. Right. Yeah, it's, it's it's hard.
1: It's a lonely. It's a lonely place. Maybe next week we'll talk about don't go back to normal in terms of pride, but uh, <laughs> but not, know, this and not this, this week. Not
0: this week. There'll be a special episode named you know. "Booy" humility <laughs>
1: yeah all right hey we're gonna keep going with this series uh let us know uh, if you have some thoughts on what shouldn't go back to normal reach out to us let us know we'd love to talk about them and uh and uh we look forward to going with the series for as long as we keep coming up with uh, ideas so see you next time see you next time
0: remember hug an it guy